Welcome to SLU Law Summations, presenting brief looks at legal matters that matter to you by St. Louis University School of Law, located in the heart of downtown St. Louis. Welcome to SLU Law Summations. I'm Corey Dugas. Today we're talking to Marsha McCormick. Professor McCormick is the director of the Weffel Center for Employment Law at SLU Law. She is joining us in advance of the Public Law Review Symposium to discuss women, discrimination, and the law. Welcome to the show, Marsha. Thanks. The topic of this year's symposium is shattering the glass ceiling. The concept of a glass ceiling was first coined in 1979 at a conference of the Women's Institute for Freedom of the Press. More than 36 years later, we are still discussing that a glass ceiling exists. Marcia, can you explain what the glass ceiling is and how it still applies today? Yeah, so the glass ceiling is really a metaphor for the point in a person's career where um, uh, where they stop advancing. Um, and uh, over time, when you look at women in the aggregate, people notice that despite uh, anti-discrimination laws, despite changing cultural views, women were only getting so far on the corporate ladder, for example. Um, they could see the presidency from where they were through that glass ceiling, but they weren't able to go any farther than a particular level. Um, and the glass ceiling has been applied not just to women, but also um, uh, people of color, uh, African Americans, Hispanics, um, people of ethnic major- minorities that have been traditionally discriminated against. So what are some of the stereotypes that you see out there that sort of promote this idea of a glass ceiling, um, and how are they reinforcing this idea? Yeah, so stereotypes are, we all know what stereotypes are in one sense, right? So uh, women are naturally nurturing, that's a stereotype. Men are naturally aggressive. Um, But stereotypes... like that actually operate on our thought processes in ways that we don't expect. So it's not just that I'm a decision maker, I'm deciding who I'm going to hire to be a firefighter, for example, and I think, oh, you know, this is a job that women just aren't going to be very good at, so I'll only hire men. I mean, there are certainly some kinds of stereotypes that work that way and people who think that way. But mostly what happens is that stereotypes actually change the way that people perceive the world around them or perceive the people around them. So they remember things that didn't happen. They think things did happen that didn't. Um, And they also uh, ascribe reasons for things um, based on those stereotypes. So for example, imagine you work in an office and your uh, supervisor and you're holding a meeting and two of your employees are late to that meeting. One is a woman and one is a man. The woman walks in late. The supervisor is likely to assume she's late because of childcare issues because women are thought to be, you know, primarily focused on childcare um, more so than work and tend to prioritize those things. That's part of the stereotype. Um, we also tend to think that that's going to happen frequently, that this is not, you know, transitory, but it's something about the way the woman is, so she's always going to prioritize child care. Now, it could be that she's late because of a traffic jam, but we mm-hmm. just assume these things. The man walks in late. We don't assume he was dropping off his kids. We don't assume he's always going to make that choice because we don't assume that he's prioritizing caregiving over the workplace. So you're talking about how these stereotypes can really be barriers to what is going on in the perception of women in the workplace. What other barriers to career growth are women facing? Um, there are a number of um, of barriers. So uh, 
And again, some of them are explicit kinds of barriers. I mean, very few workplaces still um, prohibit explicitly prohibit women in certain positions. I mean, the military is really sort of the last Mm -hmm. uh, category um, that did that, and even that's falling. But um, the perception of whether women can be leaders, um, that's a barrier. Often women are just not accepted as leaders. Um, When they're assertive, they're perceived as aggressive um, in a negative way. Um, Other barriers are, uh, is this is kind of a uh, fancy term, homosocial reproduction. It refers oh. <laughs> to it refers to how people replace themselves. So we have a tendency when we are looking for somebody to do the job we're leaving, for example, to pick somebody who reminds us of ourselves. Ah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you know, it's it's very common to say, oh, look at that person. You know, they're just like me. I'm going to give them the chance because they're going to be great at this. And when you have one of the things people use to identify each other is you know sex and things like that. If you have a guy in this position, he's going to see that guy coming up the ranks and be like, oh, that guy should be in here and not think the same way necessarily about a woman. So that uh, process is a barrier. Um, Lack of social support um, for caregiving. I mean, I know that I talked about that as a stereotype a second ago, but it is true as a social fact and as an economic fact that women do often um, assume caregiving roles uh, for family, for children, and for older um, people. The lack of social support for that, the lack of uh, affordable child care means that um, sometimes women have to take time away from the workforce. Uh, gender role enforcement, there, we, we really do have a lot of labor force segregation um, on the basis of sex. There are pink collar jobs that are dominated by women um, and other industries that are dominated by men. And finally, some working environments are hostile to women. Um, some of the most well-known are uh, Wall Street, for example, um, other kinds of male-dominated workplaces um, like oil rigs, uh, fire station, public safety kinds of jobs. Those are very male-dominated. Um, and they can often be quite hostile to women. I find this concept that you brought up just a little bit ago about how you sort of plan succession based on people that you see that are really similar to what you're doing. So how can women that have kind of hit this top line that they can go to where other women are already in place, how can they reach above that and have people above them see them as someone that could move into that position? You know, that's really hard. And I'll confess that I'm a little bit leery of that approach in part because um, on the one hand, we do want to give advice to women. And we, as women, want to feel like we're, we have the power to succeed mm-hmm. um, and that if we just work harder or smarter, we'll get there. Um, but focusing on women in that question and what they can do um, suggests that they really are in control when maybe they're not. Um, and so, uh, and so I'm not sure. So, so for example, Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In, was so popular in the mm-hmm. last few years. Um, but it was also controversial because when women do lean in, they suffer penalties. Um, women try to negotiate. Um, that scene is illegitimate often. Um, and they're penalized for having tried to do what they're told they're supposed to. Um, and so ultimately, I think to some extent, what women need to do is to start their own companies, be aware of the way that they uh, incorporate some of these same biases about women's competence and think very clearly about um, uh, promoting and supporting other women. I think there are political um, things that women can do to uh, to 
uh, band together to try and create better social supports for each other. Mm. Um, but in terms of, you know, some special thing that a particular woman might do as she sees, you know, the CEO office that she's aiming for, I think that's a much harder, um, a harder thing to try and figure out. Absolutely. And that, that makes perfect sense. Um, one of the things that's been sort of on the minds of people, especially in the state of Missouri, is this issue of paid leave. Mm-hmm. So how has this issue of paid leave created gender issues in the workplace? Yeah, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be annoying again and sort of switch <laughs> um, that question. Uh, so I, don't, I guess I don't think that paid leave has created gender issues in the work, uh, workplace. It's the lack of paid leave that okay, creates yeah. gender issues mm-hmm. in the workplace um, and, uh, and perpetuates gender divisions of labor outside the workplace. So again, as a social matter, most caregiving um, in this country and in the world is done by women. Um, we're the primary caregivers of children and aging parents. Um, and then the cost of that care, if we weren't providing it, and then the lack of paid leave pushes a lot of women out of the paid workforce, um, especially at the lower end of the economic spectrum and especially for women of color. Um, when women have paid maternity leave, maternity leave, they're actually much more likely to stay in the workforce. They're much mm-hmm. more likely to stay with the, the employer that gave it to them, um, and they get farther in their careers. Um, and so uh, paid leave given to both men and women Um, for caregiving would allow more women to remain in the paid workforce, would shrink the amount of the gender pay gap attributable to gaps in work history due to caregiving, and would disrupt the gender division of labor as a cultural matter, which could also have a ripple effect on gender segregation in the labor force. Wow. That's a a lot there. What what steps need to, what are the next steps to move this forward so that this inequity with paid leave can be solved. Well, so a number of states have started talking about this, and the federal government has as well. In fact, there's federal legislation um, that uh, that has been proposed um, that models a leave, a paid leave program on the kinds of um, other wage wage insurance, I'm going to use that sort of term, um, programs that exist out there. So we already have unemployment insurance for the time when people are involuntary unemployed to try and tide them over till their next job. We have social security disability for the time when someone, you know, is disabled from working. Um, And these proposals are to create sort of a similar kind of fund or insurance program. You pay in a certain amount of your wages, a very small percentage, and then when, uh, when you have caregiving responsibilities, um, the federal legislation says you could take up to 60 days per year, um, and the and your salary or part of your salary at least would come out of that fund. Mm-hmm. Um, and states are experimenting with a variety of similar kinds of things. And this would be something that all employees contribute to and that then anyone could use. Yes, and it would be gender neutral. Um, and the Family and Medical Leave, which is the current federal statute about um, that provides for caregiving leave, um, was the initial model. The leave that it provides for is unpaid. Um, uh, but uh, it was purposefully designed to be gender neutral as a way to, um, and it was purposefully designed actually to limit who you could take care of so that men would have to sometimes take it mm-hmm. as a way to try to disrupt the gendered nature of caregiving. Are there any issues um, on what what those specific requirements are and who you can and can't take care of that still need to be solved? Uh, I think actually most of those have been taken care of even in the last few years. Um, One of the really interesting things about the Family and Medical Leave Act um, is that you um, can take leave to care for a parent, but not a parent-in-law. 
Mm -hmm. Um, And that actually is a good thing because it means that when an opposite sex couple is deciding who's going to take care of the husband's mom, um, the woman can't be the one to do it, even if she earns less, even if it would be more socially acceptable for her to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, it encourages actually them to and supports them in making the decision for the husband to do it, uh, to be the one to take time and care for his parent. So by making this policy almost less inclusive, it's actually beneficial uh, when we look at the gender stereotypes? It is. Somebody from the family gets to care for another member of the family, but um, it, it, it doesn't uh, – but the, the sort of limit um, forces that decision to be made without regard to the gender of the partner. Interesting. Is there any kind of legislation that you see on the horizon that addresses these issues of gender inequality? Um, There are. So one of the, there are a number actually that fall into, I don't know, let's see, uh, about seven different categories. Um, Now, the fact that they're there doesn't mean they're going to get passed. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Our current Congress doesn't seem very interested in in moving forward on these kinds of things. But um, the Equal Rights Amendment actually has been uh, proposed in Congress once again. It's been proposed since, I think, 1920 every year um, and was almost ratified and then not. And that is um, an amendment to the federal constitution that would prohibit discrimination um, on the basis of sex. Um, and then there are a number of uh, of pieces of legislation that are designed to try to get at the um, gender pay gap in the aggregate men uh, make substantially more than in the aggregate women do. Um, And once you get into racial distinctions, um, it becomes even more, uh, even a larger gap. Um, And there are a number of those. A lot of those are are focused on removing the barriers to talking about your salary. So currently, the National Labor Relations Act probably prohibits employer rules that say you can't Mm -hmm. talk about your salary, but nobody knows that. So these would explicitly do that. Um, There are a lot of paid leave proposals, the Healthy Families Act. Um, Schedules That Work Act is about uh, similar that focus on uh, being able to control your schedule and negotiate about it to create more flexibility. There are a number of sort of public health and employment acts. The Healthy Mom Act uh, provides some social support for social support and leave um, once a woman discovers that she's pregnant. A lot of uh, programs to try and get more women in STEM fields. Absolutely. There's, uh, we've discussed a lot about what's happening here in the U.S. So how do we compare to other industrialized nations when we're looking at these gender gaps? Well, so the Institute for Women's Policy Research and the Center for Work-Life Law at UC Hastings College of Law ranked the United States last out of 20 industrialized (laughs) countries. Yeah. So we're not doing well. Um, And the gap is widening. They are progressing and we are falling backwards. I really appreciate you being here today, Marsha. I think this is a really important topic that we've been discussing. On February 26th, you along with several other scholars will be talking about this topic in even more detail. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. Thank you very much for being here. Thanks. Thank you for joining us for SLU Law Summations, produced by St. Louis University School of Law.